At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? All right, as you turn there, I want to tell you of a time in my life where I was ill-prepared. It was January of 2009. My family and I uh, were living in, in Mayfield, Kentucky. Um, I was serving a church there as the youth pastor. And at the time, in January of 2009, uh, I was the only pastor that was on staff. Our, our pastor had just retired, and then our music uh, director, he had left and gone to another church. And so I was the only pastor on staff. And I remember it was a crazy time in the church. I loved it, uh, but it was a crazy time because it seemed as though I had to make all of the decisions and all of this, and I just didn't know what I was doing. I was just a little kid at the time, or I felt like a little kid even though I had four kids. I felt like I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, around January 20th of that year, we began hearing some weather reports about the storm that was coming, uh, this snowstorm that was going to come and potentially bring some ice or bring some other things. And, you know, I'm watching the news and I'm like, okay, there we go again. There goes the raid on the milk and the, and the bread at the store and everyone's going to run around like a chicken with their head cut off. Okay, great. And as the, the days got closer and the storm got closer, the reports became more and more severe. So much so that on January 24th, the, uh, the county sheriff, who was also a church member at that time, called me up and said, hey, Jeff, we've got to meet. And so we meet up at the church, and he's like, hey, we've got to be prepared. Like, we're trying to uh, get ready for this storm that's coming, and, and we wanted to know, can we use the church as a shelter? And again, I'm sitting there in that meeting, and I'm like, really? Snow? I'm from Michigan. I, I, I know snow. I know ice. I know how to deal with this stuff. No big deal. And, and he's, like, he's like, no, we really got to be prepared for this thing. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So January 25th, I go to bed that night. And it's raining and it's a little bit cold. Well, the very next morning, I'm awakened by the sound of a crashing tree falling into my house. Right over Leah's bedroom. And so I go outside and I'm like, oh my goodness, is everyone okay? After, after I checked on everyone inside the house, I went outside to make sure the house was okay. And it turns out this big, huge limb had fallen on to our house. And the reason that it had fallen on our house is because that night it just continued to ice and ice and ice. And by the morning, we had about two to two and a half inches of solid ice over everything. It was crazy. Trees were falling down. I've got a picture, if you can see. Now, that's not my house, but that's another house that was in Mayfield, Kentucky. I don't know who owns that house, but that's what the city looked like. And so shortly after I was awakened, I got a call from the sheriff, and he's like, hey, you got to come down to the church. we got to get this place open. we got to get you guys a generator and all this other stuff. And so I tried to get to the church, and this is what the roads looked like. You can go to the next one, too. It was like a war zone. It was like someone had come in and like dropped all of this ice and everything had just blown up. And I lived seven-tenths of a mile from the church. And on that day, it took me almost an hour to get to church because the roads were all icy and everything was crazy. It was a disaster. And so I finally get to the church 
And uh, come to find out, I'm talking with the, uh, with the sheriff, and he's got the National Guard coordinating all of this stuff. And he's like, this is a serious problem. And I'm like, okay, it's a big problem. And right about that time, all the power in the whole city went out. Come to find out what had happened is uh, the, the, the West Kentucky and five counties in West Kentucky get all of their power from the dam uh, that, is, that is run by the TVA. And so what had happened was all of that power comes on these huge, big power lines, you know, the big, big, huge towers. Well, one of the ones that fed five counties in West Kentucky, that whole big thing was uh, knocked to the ground because of the weight of the ice. And so those massive power lines, so everyone in five counties has no power. And it's not going to be just like one little power line out there where you can just go and like fix it. We're talking about this thing has to be rebuilt. And so then in there, I knew we were in trouble. And so over the next course of the next three weeks, our church was a shelter and we worked with the National Guard to make sure that people had kerosene in their homes and other things. And we would go house to house and check on neighbors and other things. It was a crazy season of life. And I wasn't the only one that went through it. My family wasn't the only one that went through it. We have some friends over here. The Trantham's right there. You can ask them because they were there with us uh, in West Kentucky at the time. So they know all about the ice storm. Everyone knows about the ice. Am I telling the truth? It was disastrous, wasn't it? It was crazy. So anyway, that was the time in my life that even though I knew danger was coming, I didn't take the steps to repair. I was completely caught off guard and I wasn't ready for the disaster. And you say, well, Pastor, why, why, why are you saying all that? Why, why, why are you talking about, like, let me ask you this question. If you knew disaster was coming, would you prepare? Or would you let it catch you off guard? I, I know last year about this time, all of us were caught off guard. Like the world was completely changed and none of us were prepared what to, to embrace what 2020 was going to be like, right? Anybody, anybody was prepared for that? Okay. But what if I'm here today and you listening and I tell you that disaster is coming. I don't know when, but it's coming. Would your ears peek up and be like, I gotta know when it's coming because I've gotta be prepared. Are, are you guys ready? You wanna be prepared for the disaster that's coming or do you wanna just sit back and be like, okay, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't happen. It's just a little snow. Right, well, we've been walking for the past several weeks through Jesus' conversation with the disciples uh, in Matthew chapter 24, and we're gonna get into chapter 25 uh, beginning next week. And as we were walking through this, Jesus has just told the disciples that the temple is going to be destroyed. And they're worried about that because that was a symbol of their whole life. That was the symbol of their identity. And so they're wondering about all these things. And so they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, when is all this going to happen? When's the end of the age going to happen? When are, when are you coming back? And how is this all going to happen? So Jesus has begun to clearly communicate to them. So he's pointing to things that are in the near future. And then he begins to talk about things that are in the, the far or distant future. And he wants them to know what's going to happen so that they can be prepared. That's why we've entitled this series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today. So if we know what is to come, then that should have implication on how we live today, right? So if you, you knew in three days that, uh, that a flood was going to come and totally destroy uh, your neighborhood, what would you do? Would you sit back and be like, nah, it may or may not come? 
No, you're going to go get in the basement, you're going to put everything on blocks, or you're going to move. You're going you're to be prepared. And so in much the same way, Jesus is using this time to help his disciples and us know how to be prepared for what is to come. And we, looking back, he began talking about natural disasters. Beginning of chapter 24, he says, he says, don't be alarmed when you see things happen. Don't be alarmed when you see famines happening and you see wars and rumors of wars and you see natural disasters. Don't let that freak you out because it's going to happen. Because when the uh, natural disasters are when creation is uh, pouring out its wrath, right? When creation gets all angry and, and gets all frustrated, it's going to do these things. So don't let that, don't let that freak you out. But then he goes on and says, well, don't worry about the times when persecution from culture will come. When you experience, as a, as a child of God or a follower of God, when you experience the wrath of the world, don't let that freak you out. He says, Christians are going to face more and more difficult times as time goes on. He says, don't be deceived. Don't look to other messiahs. Don't look other places. But know that as, as it gets closer to my return, as it gets closer to the end, these horrible things are going to come more frequently and they're going to become more dangerous. And then two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus promises that his disciples will see God's judgment on the Jews when God's wrath will be poured out on his people because of their disobedience. And the way that's going to come about is through the destruction of the temple. The temple, this, this place where the presence of God was supposed to be, is going to be utterly destroyed. And what's going to happen is Jesus is establishing this new covenant with his people that the, the presence of God is going to transition from being in a place to being in a person, in the person of Jesus. So Jesus is saying, hey, all of these things are happening. So when they happen, you can know that I'm in control. You can know what's going on. And then we also saw, have already seen, and we'll continue to see today, that Jesus promises in the future, sometime in the distant future, at that time it was the distant future, that Jesus will return and judge all mankind. That there's coming a time when all men who have ever been, men and women, who have ever been given the breath of life will have their lives measured and weighed, and they will be judged based on how they live. They will either be determined as being faithful or being unfaithful. And so Jesus says in this return, when he returns, it will be unmistakable. And so today as we pick up, what we see is Jesus not only says that he is coming back, but he says what we should do as we wait for his return. So the question is, are you ready for Jesus to return? If you were to look at your life, you look at your heart, look at where your faith is, are you ready for Jesus to return? Because when he returns, he's not only coming as a conquering king, but he's coming as a judge. And so Jesus here in the passage we're gonna look at today gives us two truths that we need to understand about Jesus' second coming. The first truth that we need to see is that we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. Look at me in verse 36. Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, referring to his return, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away, swept them all away. 
so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. You do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Jesus here is helping all humanity, not only his disciples, but helping all humanity understand the need to be prepared for his coming again. And here we see that Jesus uses some interesting language. He says, but concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but the Father knows. So in in essence, what Jesus is saying is, is no one knows when he's coming back or when he's supposed to come back, so don't ask the question, when's he coming back? Like, don't live your life trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back. If, if you have that space in your house where you, you pull out a big piece of paper and you start charting things down and, and you're like, Jesus, well, this has got to happen first and then Jesus is coming back, you're wasting your time, okay? Don't waste your life trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back because nobody knows. It's not gonna come when you expect it It's going to come when you least expect it is exactly what Jesus is saying here. And what Jesus is doing here is very interesting because Jesus, again, is using language that goes back to the betrothal or to the wedding covenant. See, the way that the practice was for the marriage back then is when the couple was betrothed together, when they they shared the cup together and they were separated for a year, As I said, the husband would go and prepare the house and the wife would go uh, with her bridesmaids and get ready for the wedding. And that would normally take about a year. After that year was complete, after everything was done, the couple would wait because the only one that knew when the wedding was going to happen was the husband's father, was was the groom's father. He was the one that determined when the wedding would happen. He had all of that power. And so at his appointed time, so the son didn't know. So the son just had to wait. The bride just had to wait. And they just had to sit and wait and be ready for the call. And then on that day, the father goes to the son and says, go get your bride. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's giving us this picture of saying, hey, Nobody knows. I don't know. I just got to be ready myself. So we know in other places, like in John 14 and other places like that, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you so that you may be there with me. So Jesus is, is waiting for the return too. And, and we, as we wait for the return too, when the Father initiates it and says, go. Now for the bride, those that are in Christ, this is a glorious thing that we wait for. We're waiting for our king to come and to take us so that we can be with him in a place of blessing. So in some ways, Jesus is saying, hey, be prepared because it can happen at any moment. But I also think that Jesus is, is talking about the judgment that's coming, so be prepared for it. He gives us these, these illustrations in this passage. He says, for as we're in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So again, Jesus is pulling all the way back to the time of Noah in the great flood. 
He says, for as those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. So what Jesus is saying is he's saying there's so many people in the world today that have no concern about his return. Just as when in Noah's day, there were people that were, had no concern about the coming judgment that was coming. Remember, God looked at the earth in the times of Noah and he, it says that he grieved that he created humanity. He saw that every intent, every thought of their life was wicked. And so he determined that he was going to destroy. He was gonna pour out his wrath on all humanity. But God, who's rich in love and mercy, sees Noah. And he chooses to save Noah, to use Noah to save humanity and to save all the animals. So God comes to Noah and he says, I'm going to destroy the earth, but you get the opportunity to build the ark. So just imagine in a, if for a moment, you see this guy continuing to build this boat, which you have no idea what a boat is. And you begin seeing this thing go and you're like, hey dude, why are you building the boat? And he says, oh, the judgment of God is coming. Humanity is wicked and God wants to wipe out humanity. And so as that boat gets bigger and bigger and bigger and almost to completion, you have that as a sign, as a reminder that God's judgment is coming. And it says here that they had no concern for that. Humanity was continuing to, to go about doing life by being married and, and partying and just having life, living their lives to the fullest with no regard to the coming judgment. But I also want you to see that ark was the open invitation for salvation. As long as those doors on the ark, on the boat stood open, there was a potential for salvation. And those that entered into the boat, Noah and his family, they found salvation. All the animals that God brought to the, the ark, they found salvation. And even as the, the waters began to rise, when, as long as those doors were open, there was an open invitation that anyone could come into the boat and be saved. The people didn't want it. They didn't believe that God was going to judge them. They didn't believe that it was coming. And they had the opportunity. God was gracious all the way up until the doors of that boat were closed. In that moment, that moment removed all hope of salvation. For then the waters came, the floods rushed in, and the people were washed away. Jesus is saying that the coming of the Son of Man is going to be just like that. That the moment that God is, now we're entering into a time of God's grace, where God has promised that he's not gonna destroy the earth like that again until he comes again. That utter destruction is not coming. And so we live in this season of grace where God is being gracious toward us, hoping that we will see the signs and hoping that we will turn our eyes away from the things of this world onto him. Because it's gonna happen in a moment. But then he goes on and he says, not only is it gonna happen in a destructive way, in a massively destructive way, but then he goes on and says, gives us this other illustration. He says, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. It's as though Jesus is saying that in this moment of his coming, there will be a great separation that'll happen in an instant. 
The separation is going to happen that those that are faithful will be separated over here from those that are unfaithful. The ones that are faithful will find the blessings of God, but those that are unfaithful will endure the wrath of God and utter destruction. He says it's going to happen just like that. And you don't know when it's going to come. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. It can happen at any moment. And let me remind you of this. That there's nothing standing in the way. No other sign has to happen. Nothing else has to happen uh, before Jesus can return. He can return at any moment. And when he does, the two people working side by side, living in community together, may be separated in an instant. No hope of salvation. It's lost. It's done. And he goes on to say, therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what the day the Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what time, part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also will be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you don't expect. Now again, for the believer, this gives us a sense of the grace and majesty of God. When we read these verses, we're reminded, hey, even as bad as it gets right now, that we are looking forward to a future that is full of blessing where we get to spend eternity in the presence of our maker. That should bring us great hope. But we come to a passage like this and for the person that's not a believer, this should shake you to your core. If you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, know that you don't know what your life is. You don't know how much longer you have in your life. You don't know uh, when Jesus is gonna return. I know so many people that are like, I'm gonna wait until like, I'll get right with Jesus when I'm on my deathbed. Well, you don't have that opportunity. Many people won't be afforded that grace. Because you have no idea. You have no idea if you're going to live a long life. You have no idea if, if the world's going to come to an end tomorrow. Life is so uncertain. But the certainty of life is that Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back to judge. Our lives and our thoughts, what we place our faith in, all of that's going to be measured and it's going to be weighed. And then there'll be a great separation. So how is it that we respond while we re wait for his return? Well, we see that Jesus gives us some, some statements here. First of all, he says, stay awake. Don't go to sleep, but be alert. Keep watching. And, and I think that Jesus has it in mind, the two responses to this warning. First, I think he's giving a response or giving a warning to those that are going to face judgment. All of us were there at one time in our lives, right? All of us heard this message is that you will be judged because of what you've done. Because of your rebellion against God, you will pay the penalty for your sin. You hear that. And some people are like, nah, nah, that's not, no. That's not gonna, how, how can a good God judge people? Like, I, 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 I've got no, I got no time for this God. But others that hear about the judgment of God and hear about the grace that is afforded through Jesus, that becomes light to our very souls. 
we finally hear the cure to, to the curse that's in our hearts and something inside of us lightens up and says, I need that. And we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I can't save myself, but please, please, please save me. And then what Jesus does is he saves us. He gives us an opportunity to know him and we're reconciled back to God. And we have the promises. But I think Jesus here is trying to get after not only the disciples helping them know that they're okay, letting us know that we're okay, but giving warning to those that are not okay. There are many, 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 many people that are littered in our lives that are not okay. If you don't know Jesus here today, you are not okay. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter if you have the best wife or the best husband, the biggest house. It doesn't matter what kind of degree you have. None of that stuff matters. Because in an instant, you are going to be judged, not based on how you lived or how much money you have. In an instant, you're going to be judged on what you did with Jesus. Either you receive him as Lord and Savior or you reject him. And if you reject him, judgment is coming. This is an unpopular message that the world doesn't want to hear because the world has this attitude of who are you to judge me? Life is all about my happiness. No, life is not about your happiness. Life is about do you surrender and bow your knee to Jesus who is Savior and Lord or do you not? That's it. So what Jesus is saying here is be ready. And he's also saying to the believer, you be ready. Be ready. Don't give your heart and affection over to the things of this world. If you try to find yourself living in two worlds where you're holding on to heaven but holding on to the world and you're doing this thing, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get ripped apart. So Jesus is giving us this warning too to say, while you wait for my return, don't love this world more than you should. Like, the whole process of, of getting married and, and having, having kids and all those things that he talks about in like the days of Noah, don't do life asleep. Don't go through the, the rigor of, of life or the routine of life without a purpose. Because he says in many ways in the last days, many people with good intentions will find themselves slumbering. Many people will just be going through the motions Many people won't have a heart for God. And they will be separated. So Jesus says, be faithful. The second thing that he says, or he says, be, be ready. Be prepared. Now he says, be faithful. Look with me in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them food at their proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat drinks with drunkards, that master of that servant will come on one day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, Jesus here talks about the need to be faithful. 
He describes a faithful servant and an unfaithful servant. There are only two categories in the world. There's, there's not a half faithful servant. You're either a faithful servant or you're unfaithful. And Jesus, again here, is giving us the distinction of, of these two categories, of these two camps, of these two groups. He says, blessed is the one who does his master's work. When the master comes at an unannounced time and the master finds his servants doing what he's told, he will then set him over all of his possessions. So when the, the person, when the servant is found faithful, when this master comes, he will receive an amazing blessing. He will be in the presence of the master and he will have all the possessions of the master himself. So he says, that's, that's the faithful one, the one that carries out the work of the Lord and has not found themselves falling asleep or sitting back and becoming complacent about the mission that is before him. But then he goes on and he describes the wicked. The wicked one looks at the distance of time between uh, of God's promise of coming back and the wicked one says, my master is delayed. He's taking too long to come back. I thought he was supposed to come back in the time that I wanted him to come back. I thought he was supposed to do the things that I wanted him to do and he's not doing the things that he wanted me to do. So instead, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna live my best life now. I'm gonna live as though the only world that exists is this one. So I'm gonna fill my life with all the things that this world says will bring me peace. So I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna hang out with drunkards. Instead, I'm gonna beat the slaves, the people that I'm supposed to be serving, I'm gonna beat them and I'm gonna make them bring about my pleasure and my happiness on their behalf. I'm gonna do all these things. And then the master shows up in a time when the wicked servant doesn't realize it. And the master's gonna come to the wicked servant and he's gonna say, look at what you've done. And then the master is going to level his judgment. Look at the description of the judgment. This is not something that the, 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 the master's like, oh, well, I, I understand, you, di you didn't know better. It, okay, you get, you get a second chance. No, 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 you, you had the second chance. You had the third chance. You had the fourth chance in the season of grace. But when the reckoning comes, when the time of justice comes, if you are found unfaithful, you will be cut into pieces. You will be destroyed, ripped apart. You will be marked with the hypocrites and you will be placed in the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not a beautiful destination. This is not like that vacation to Cabo. That's not this. This is like utter destruction. This is being ripped apart and weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternity. That's where the wicked servants go. So Jesus says, don't do that. Instead, be faithful. Be faithful. In the time that I've given, in this season of grace, as one that has received this, this gift of grace, be a grace giver. Live being faithful. Don't take the message of Jesus and hide it under a lamp or hide it in your back pocket or stay on the couch. Instead, he says, take the message and be faithful because there are wicked people out there right now that God wants to save. There are people that need to know of the coming judgment because it is sinful for us to have the message and to keep it to ourselves. 
We need to be found faithful in every season of our lives. Be found faithful. Whether you're walking through a season of peace, be faithful. Or you're walking through a season of tribulation, be faithful. I can't stress this enough. There were some, in all honesty, missed this last year as a great opportunity. I hope that rests on some of us. I feel it. I know I missed it sometimes. But God did not allow the pandemic to come just so that we could take our Christian faith and become a holy huddle unto ourselves, living in our house all by ourselves, doing our own thing. But God allowed the pandemic to come so some people's worldviews could be rocked. So some people, the the thing that they were placing their faith in could be utterly destroyed and then they're looking around for hope. Where are the answers? Where can I find hope in this time of distress? And if we're sitting on the bench, if we're back in our house, huddled up, not speaking to people, then how are they gonna hear about the hope of Jesus? Some of us missed it this last year. But the good news is, there's still time because we have today. I don't know how much time we have left, but I know we have today. And God's grace is there. If you're like, okay, pastor, you got me. I feel it. Then give it to the Lord and say, God, I repent. God, I missed it. Help me now to be faithful. And then the Lord will help you. He will restore you and he'll move you in to being used again for faithfulness and fruitfulness. I want to tell you, I began this sermon with a story about the ice storm, but there's a story within that story that started the summer before that. You see, it was the, the, the summer before that, I was, our, as a student pastor, we began uh, taking our youth group and we began saying, hey, we need to really care for an area of our city. And so we took our students on prayer walks uh, throughout the city and, and we began to try to identify what part of the city that we really, do we wanna make a difference in? Do we really wanna bring Jesus to was kind of the thing that we said. And so we identified this part of the community that had a park and there were houses all the way around this park. And so we began prayer walking around there and just praying that we would see a gospel movement in the homes and in the places and in and among the people and as we're doing this prayer walk uh, we or these prayer walks we would always go by this yellow house and when we go by this yellow house there were always these kid toys out in the front lawn there's like a big wheel and a little tricycle and every time we'd walk by that house all we'd hear from inside the house is screaming and yelling It was like the loudest house. All the students in our student ministry were scared of that house. No one wanted to go to that house. And, but we faithfully prayed. We faithfully prayed. And it came time, it was near the end of the summer, we decided we were gonna do a backyard Bible club and so uh, in that park. And so we took flyers and we went to all the different houses and, and uh, we're inviting people to backyard Bible club. Well, it came time, uh, there were two students, there were two girls uh, that I was walking with and we, it was time to go to this yellow house. And both the girls I was looking at, they're like, I, I, this, this house scares me. I don't know what's gonna go on here. I don't wanna be yelled at. And so they sheepishly walked up to the door, they rang the doorbell and the door comes swinging open. The guy inside the house says, what do you want? <laughs> fear, utter fear and terror inside the lives of these girls. And they're like giving them the paper and they're like, here, take this. And they give it to them and they run away. And they're like, we're never going back. That's the scariest place ever. Well, those kids never came to Backyard Bible Club. But we continue to be faithful to pray for that family. The ice storm happens. 
And one of my jobs, as I, I think I told you earlier, was to, to travel around and make sure our church members were okay. So we'd go from house to house. And, and one of the things that we did is we'd also go up to the high school because the high school was also another, um, another shelter. And we would go up to the high school and we'd drive, drive around and then we'd walk through the high school and see if we could check on church members to make sure they were okay. Well, we're in the high school this one day and, and I'm walking down and, and I hear this guy behind me say, hey! I look around, I'm like, oh man, <laughs> that's that guy. That's, that's him, I know that's him. And so I come to find out his name's David and I, I meet David and he's like, hey, can you take me by my house? You got a van, right? I'm like, yeah, we got a van. Can we take me by my house? We left some things there and we gotta get them. I'm like, sure, David, we'll take you. So why don't you get the whole family? So we get in the church bus and we drive by his house. We pull up to his house and he's like, hey, how do you know where I live? <laughs> I looked at him dead face. I kid you not. And I said, because I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. What are you talking about? You pray for me. I don't need prayer. Get my guy go inside the house, get my stuff. So he goes inside, gets the house, gets all the stuff. Kids get in the car. He's got like four little kids. And they all get in the van. I'm like, hey, David, how, how would you and your family like to come back with me to church? Like, we've got a shelter there too. It's a little bit smaller. And, you know, you'll have a better idea of being able to watch your kids. We'll make sure you're fed really well. And he's like, yeah, let's go to church. So we go to church, we get them settled, and they, they got their beds all settled up. And for over the next couple of days, I get a chance to just hang out with them, play some games with the kids, and get to hear their story. And come to find out, you know the reason why they talk so loud? It's because his wife is hard of hearing. And they couldn't afford hearing aids. And so their family just yelled because that's how they communicated, just so mom could hear. And over the course of the next few days, we continued to get to know them, continued just to love them and, and, and uh, hear them. And then Sunday morning came, and we had our fellowship hall was actually our, our shelter area. And we decided we were going to have worship that Sunday. And so our interim pastor came in, and, and he preached that Sunday, uh, s- Sunday morning. And I remember sitting across uh, from their son, Dennis, and I remember just watching him as the pastor was preaching, just weeping the whole time. Just, I mean, just sobbing. And I went up to him afterwards, I'm like, Dennis, what's going on? He's like, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And so there I got a chance to, to share with him about Jesus. And he came to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And his dad comes over. He's like, why are you making my boy cry? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, okay. So I began to just share with him about Jesus and all that. And uh, come to find out after a course of time, the whole family comes to know Jesus. Yeah, let's give God praise for that. And I still check on the family every once in a while through Facebook and other places. And, and uh, they've had their, their, their share of ups and downs, but they're still walking with the Lord. They're still serving at church and they're still going and, and being faithful and all that. And it just so happens that God, it took an ice storm in order to bring this family to faith. Brothers and sisters, God has filled our lives with people. God has filled our lives with opportunities. And God has filled our lives with danger. God has filled our lives with difficult times so that in the midst of all of that, we can share the love of Jesus with others. The call, is, the call on our life is just to be faithful. Whether in a season of peace or in a season of tribulation, be faithful to share the message of Jesus. 
And some of you are like, I don't even know what that looks like. What, is, what, is, what do you mean? Well, you've got a story, don't you? You've got the story of how Jesus saved you. You've got your story of how you went from, from a child of darkness to a child of light and how Jesus has saved you. You've got that. No one else has your story. So at the bare minimum, you have your story of how Jesus has saved you. You can share that with others. Another way like to, to get engaged and to, to make sure that we're being faithful during this season is that we stop and realize how many people God has placed in your life that don't know him. And one of the greatest ways, one of the easiest things that you can do is invite those lost friends to church, those lost loved ones to church. You know, Easter's coming up. And as Easter's coming up, for whatever reason, God chooses this time of year to make people begin to be a little more sensitive to spiritual things. And if we take this opportunity to capitalize on the fact that Jesus is at work in the lives of people and we have an opportunity for them to hear the life-changing message of the gospel, then why would we not seek to invite them to come to church? On your way out, we do have some cards that are available that have Good Friday service information on one side and Easter Sunday service information on the other side. Take those. Use them. Invite your friends. Invite your loved ones to come to church. But that's one part of it. The best way, though, is for you to be investing in the lives of other people and when life hurts, you be able to share with others about the love of Jesus. This is not rocket science. But this is, a, this is a monumental opportunity that God gives us to be a part of carrying out his mission. Faithfulness leads to gospel fruitfulness. It always is that way. So Jesus is returning. If you're here today and you don't know him yet, you can know him by calling on his name. If you're here and you want to know more about him, I'll be available in the lobby after service. Come up to me and say, Pastor, I want to know more about Jesus. And I'll gladly share with, him, share with you about him. But for many of us, the call for us is to step up, to get off the couch, to get back in the game, and to be involved in lives of people because Jesus is coming back. And those that we love may be judged. Let's pray together. Father, we live in a world that is full of darkness. And yet we have this promise of your return. Father, I thank you that in your plan for redemptive history, there will come an end to all this heartache and to this pain. But Father, at that end will signal for some a blessing, but for some great destruction. And Father, I believe that even in each one of our hearts, we believe that you're coming back. And in some ways, at times, Father, we look at our neighbors, we look at our coworkers, we look at people that are different than us, in the recesses of our hearts, we wish for their demise. We wish for their destruction. God, forgive us. Forgive us for having hate in our hearts. But Father, you've given us this amazing message. We've experienced, you've given us grace. 
you've given us mercy. Though we don't deserve any of it, we are rebels to our core and we still rebel against you. And yet your grace is sufficient for us. Help us to not be hoarders of your grace. Father, in this season and in this time of history, you have called upon us to be your bearers of your image and of your light. Father, the darkness is coming and we are surrounded by darkness on every side. And we are tempted to be overwhelmed by the darkness. But God, with our lights, let us beat back that darkness. Father, help us to see the faces of our family members, of our children, of our parents that don't know you and will go to hell. Apart from you, Father, you've placed them in our lives. Not just to be a part of birthday parties and ball games, but you place them in our lives so that we might share about your love. God, you're coming back. Help us to be ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.